Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Free, Brian. You're finally free. Ha uh-huh. ha. Sometimes you don't feel that way, though, but you're free. <laughs> I think it. I think a lot of it, Brian, starts in our thinking. Hmm. It starts in our thinking. I think a lot of it, Brian, the things that try to stop us from being free are the ways of life. Sometimes we get a phone call late at night. Somebody we hear that somebody's passed, or something happens on our way to work, a car breakdown, or something, and we start to doubt that thing that we've always wanted to do. We start doubting ourselves because of these things. But Brian, long as things are going okay, oh, you're on top of the world and you feel free. But shouldn't you feel free no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances are? You know, Greg, I, you know, I think you hit it right on the money. You know, when things are going well, people say, "Oh, yeah, I'm free," because you don't have that burden, that added burden of having to worry about this or worry about that. You know, but tonight I think we're going to talk about some ways that you, that you don't even realize you are free. Mm. You know, and we're going to talk about some steps to, to freedom that most people take for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, when you look at something as simple as being able to get up every morning and walk. You know, some people can't do that. Mm-hmm. Some people, it takes them a little bit longer. Some people don't have legs. Yes. But, and some people may say, okay, you don't have legs. That means you're bound. You're not free. No, that's just two things less to worry about. You don't have to worry about getting up every morning, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so free. So, so the free that you're talking about is not a physical. You're not talking about that physical free. No, I think we're going to talk about physical freedom as well, but I'm saying there are other ways to be free. That, you know, when people talk about freedom, you know, it's really your perception of what's free. Mm. You know, who's who's more free? The guy that asked that, you know, that's on the side of the road begging for a dollar every day and he might make $300 that week or the guy who's working all week long to make $300 and half of that money's got to go back out to pay bills. Who's more free? Yeah. I understand. Brian, the first time I went and spoke in the jail, in the prison, I, I learned that a lot of the men that were in there were freer than me. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't realize that until I went in there because these men are stripped with every everything is taken from them. And a lot of them tell you they don't have any pride because that's been stripped from them. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that a lot of them are just free. And 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 what I mean by free, some of these men were given sentences of 300, 300 years, 275 years. And I look at these guys and a lot of them are having fun. And it was my first time in there, so I had to ask the guy the question. I, I asked him, I say, you've been given 300 years. You'll never see the outside. And you're in here laughing and joking. He said, I, I've been set free. It's all in your mind. I've, I've been set free. I don't, I don't have the worries that I used to have. And I found out that worrying has never solved anything. Mm-hmm. He said, I can adapt to any situation. He says, it's all in your mind. It's what you want. It's what you call free. If you want to be free, it's just that simple. Make up your mind to be free. Mm-hmm. And it it just, I was just shocked. But, Brian, I also want to say this, that everything that we do, everything, every morning you wake up, everything starts with an idea. Oh, yes. Everything starts with an idea. This world was created out of an idea. Things were said, meaning action was taken. Something was said and it happened. But Brian, when we go through these struggles and we we're faced with obstacles, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to isolate ourselves from everybody and be quiet. Mm-hmm. But that's the time you should praise and <laughs> and shout more than any time. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I agree. But I tell you what, Brian, 
like I said, we, we need to remember that everything starts with an idea. A lot of us have great ideas with no action. <laughs> great ideas but no action. And people think that the Bill Gates and the Oprah Winfrey's of the world are making all of the money. Now, 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 there's never a shortage of money, just a shortage of ideas and action. I agree. You know, Greg, it's interesting you would talk about those ideas. I was talking with a friend of mine at work, and uh, we were talking about video games. And, you know, I was going on my little tangent on how I remember when I was probably about 10, 11 years old, and I took my whole summer and I drew out my idea of a video game. And I kind of mixed in Mario Brothers with The Legend of Zelda, with the uh, with Donkey Kong. I kind of put all those together, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it was Donkey Kong and The Legend of Zelda and another game that I used to play when I was young called The Smurfs. And they were all on ColecoVision. And I remember just sitting down, and I'm telling my age, talking about ColecoVision, most people are saying, what's ColecoVision? <laughs> that was sort of like the uh, second-generation Atari 2600. Actually, you could actually plug the Atari into it. But anyways, we, uh, I was saying how I took all my time during the summer and I drew out and wrote my very own video game and how I wanted it to play out. And I was telling this guy, I said, you know, I had this great idea I drew it all out, and then I sent it to Nintendo America. I just I just basically put it in a bunch of envelopes and mailed it out. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about it until I got older that the whole Super Mario World idea mm-hmm. and theme was based on my idea of a video game that I want, that I sent and told them that they can pay me $1,000 for. And here I was, this 10-year-old, all I wanted was $1,000. You know, and it was that I had no proof that I did it except for the fact that I sent it in. You know, but all these ideas that I had could have generated way more than what I was even imagining could generate. You know, and that's the thing about uh, ideas. When people have these great ideas, a lot of times they don't even believe enough in them to nurture them. They don't believe enough in their ideas to where, you know, their own expectations are so limited that they that when they start to exceed those expectations, they're like, "Oh my God, what in the world's going on?" You know, they don't they're not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. You know, we just like the guys fear. with Google, Greg. I mean, yeah. think about it. You think these guys knew that they would have a multi-billion-dollar corporation <laughs> in ten in less than ten years? Heck, in less than five years. But they had to they had to move. They had to do something. They didn't just sit there with it. And, and and I'm glad you're talking about ideas. I mean, you took it a little bit further, but that's that's what I wanted because we get so depressed. But you know what? We have the ideas. We have everything that we need to give us that lifestyle that we desire. We just don't have enough courage to attack the ideas that we have because, Brian, a lot of the ideas that we have no one is doing them. And because no one is doing them, we can't see how it's really done. But that's when faith comes in. Mm-hmm. How many of us have that? How many, is, how many of us are afraid to jump out there and do something and try something that we feel that, or something that we were given? And we write it down and we have this brilliant idea, but we're afraid to put it in motion because of what, Brian? We're afraid of criticism. We're afraid of what our peers will say. We're afraid of what others will say. Yes. And that's sad. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think it was a movie, and maybe it was a, a book, and it was called Fear of Falling. I can't exactly remember. But, you know, that's sort of like that's the syndrome we have. We have this fear of falling down. Mm-hmm. You know, and just like the song says, you can get back up again. Most people don't ever want to fall. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like walking on a tightrope. You know, and uh, you can't. You know, they have this idea: if you can't afford to stub your toe, 
You know, you can't afford to get where, you know, you're not in complete balance in your life because mm-hmm. one false move and you could fall. And they never think to look down to see if they have a net. And you know, there's nothing or, wrong and, with that. You know, and the thing is, most of the times, if this is your first time walking the tightrope, you're going to have a net. It only makes sense. You better. <laughs> you better have a net, you know. But <laughs> but most of the time, if, you, if, you, if you're walking this tightrope and you're doing it the right way, you're going to have a net underneath you because nobody's going to allow you to get out there on that tightrope without a net except for you. You know, and I think that's the problem. Most people look at it and say, oh, in order to be out on the tightrope, I can't do it with a net because then everybody will say I have a net. You know, but how many people will say, why didn't you have a net if you went out there without the net trying to impress someone and you stub your toe? Mm-hmm. You and know? that's the part, Martin, that's when we have to give out ourselves an opportunity to grow. Because you just can't step out on something and it's awesome the very first time. You have to get used to doing it. It's okay if you stumble along the way. That's not failure. When you go somewhere and you're trying to do something and the person that you think is in charge that will help you with that dream or that goal or whatever it is that that desire that you have, you think that that person is in charge of your dreams and your goals. They're not. They're not. If they tell you no, it's okay. They're not going to tell you no without giving you a reason. Whatever that reason is, you twist it around, do it, and come back. You have to come back. You can't stop. Because you have to realize that when you're given a vision and you're given something in you that's burning, which is a desire, a lot of people on the outside won't understand it because it wasn't given to them. Right. And and I was just talking with someone last night, Brian, about desires and being lonely. A lot of people say this is a lonely, lonely journey sometimes. Well, is it really? It, It should be at some point because it was only given to you. The people around you don't know how deep it is because they can't see the depths of what it is that you were given. And no matter how much you try to explain to them, Brian, that you, you know, I want to do this, I want It's not that they're not supporting you. It's that they really don't understand. Because sometimes what happens, Brian, we are given something so big, we want to tell the world. But then the world is not receptive to it. Mm-hmm. And, Brian, I'm going to tell you, family members most of the time are not receptive to it. And that's the hurting part. So, Brian, you know, what what would you do? What do you what do you do in a situation when you're trying to do something like this, and it's so big, and you're happy, and you're excited about telling the world and getting out there and making this thing happen, and then you run up against them? You know, Greg. Here's the thing, and this is something that I that I sort of had to learn, but once I learned it, I began to live by it because. It was so profound. Whenever you run up against opposition on something that you're supposed to be doing, you're right on track. That's right. You're right on track. If if something that you're supposed to be doing comes so easy and it's real easy to get done and you you have to put forth little or no effort, it's because that's not the thing you're really supposed to be doing. Because anything that you're supposed to be doing should be a challenge. It should be something that's challenging. That way, when you've done it, you know, you can say, wow, I did this. And when other people see it, they'll say, you did that? Wow, that's amazing. You see, I look at it like this. Everybody's walk, everybody's purpose, everybody's journey is just like their fingerprint. It's just like their fingerprint. It's yours. Nobody has the same walk, the same vision, the same journey, the same purpose that you have. There's nobody on the planet. They may have a like vision, a like purpose, but they don't have the same purpose or the same vision or the same journey that you have. Because in order to do that, 
they'd have to walk in the exact steps, make the exact moves, have the exact feelings, you know, and be in the exact place that you're in. And we already know two things can't occupy the same space at the same time. That's right. And so their walk is a little bit different. I mean, Greg, when you look at you and I, we do similar things. We have similar visions, but we don't do exactly the same thing. Right. You know, the way you explain something and the way I explain something may be similar if we're talking about the same thing, but it won't be the exact same way because you're going you're gonna to explain it based on your perspective, your, your views, you know, the right. things that you are familiar with, and I'm going to explain it, you know, likewise, the ways that I'm familiar with and the things that I know about that particular subject. You know, and I think it's just the fact that most people, they get when, when trying to be free, they base their freedom on what everybody perceives their own freedoms to be. Yeah. See, but sometimes, funny. like, I'll give you a perfect example. I have a coworker, and it's funny, and if he's listening, he's probably going to say, oh, he's talking about me. <laughs> but every day around 3 o'clock, I start screaming to him, go home. I tell him to go home every day around 3, 3, 3.30, tell him to go home. Now, he works from 7 to 4 every morning, every day, well, Monday through Friday. But he does not leave that building until he believes he's done. And sometimes that may be 5.30, sometimes it may even be 6 o'clock at night. And I tell him, go home. And he made the statement today, he says, well, I have no life outside this place. Ooh. And I'm like, what do you mean you have no life outside this place? He said, I love working here. I love what I do. And the statement that he made was so profound, it it wasn't an indictment on him not having a life. He was saying that he was doing the thing that he was supposed to be doing. He enjoyed what he was doing. This was setting him free. This is what he believed freedom was. Freedom was that he served every customer the same way. He made sure that that customer was well served. And when he was done, he had a good sense of well-being. He was happy because that customer had been served. That was his vision of freedom. Now, my vision of freedom was slightly different. My vision was, okay, when I'm off, when, I, when it's time for me to go home, I'm going to go home, and then I'll be free from working. But, see, he was free because he was working. Mm-hmm. Because it could have easily been where he didn't have a job or he didn't have a means of income or that maybe he couldn't even talk. So the fact that he was able to talk, he had a job and a means of income, he was free. Mm. I tell you, you know, what. So to that person that's upset because maybe their job's not going the way they want it to go, hey, you actually have a job. You're working it. Work it. If the if the next if you're supposed to be on somebody else's job, guess what? When it's time for you to be there, you'll be there. Mm. The one thing you never want to do is rush your destiny. Brian, I I, I shared with you something that today that was so powerful for me. Mm-hmm. I was driving this morning going to work, and I was feeling, sometimes you feel kind of out of it a little bit. And when I parked my car, I saw a gentleman, and I was just thinking about my life as I was driving on how I can do things better. And I look back on the mistakes that I've made in my life, and it, it started to pull me down a little bit. And I saw this man standing in the road, and as I walked, as I got closer to him, Brian, he turned his head, he looked at me, and he turned his head. And I was just walking, and I looked at him again, and I realized what he was doing. He was eating out of a trash can. Mm. And I, and at that moment, I saw him doing that. At that moment, I knew what that meant. Mm. I knew what that meant. At, to to When you look at your life and you start trying to Put yourself up higher than you think you should be. Well, well, I should be here now. 
I'm this age. I should have this. I should. Don't you think that person is thinking the same thing? Don't you think that person want to be doing something better than eating out of a trash can? Yes, absolutely. You know, it, it's so easy. It's so easy for us to lose focus on what's important. Mm-hmm. That a lot of times we miss out, and we can have everything that we need, Brian. We can have tables full of food. We can have everything in our house that we want at our fingertips, but we're really starving because we're missing and there's a void in our life. Right. And that's the part that when you realize that that void can only be filled by the creator. You have rich people doing different things. You have people on drugs. You have people going out doing all kind of crazy things because that void, Brian, they think that they can fill that void and a lot of men try to fill it with women, and a lot of women try to fill it with men and money, just different things. They try different things, and they're just so eager to fill that void, but the world can't fill that void for you. Right. No matter what you're going through in your life, there's only one that can fill that void. You can try all you want. You're going to be empty. I don't care what you do. If it's not him, you're going to be empty. There's going to be that void there. You know, Greg, I I was reminded of uh, one of our guests that we had on uh, back in July, Mr. Brian Hurlbut. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how he was free. And, you know, he said his freedom was based on his giving. He said mm-hmm. that's how he began. He became free. He became free because everything he got, he decided to give a portion of it. And he got to the point where he had been giving so much that he had the ability to live off of 10% of what he was getting. Yes, I remember. So he talked about how he gave away 90% of his income. And through giving away 90% of his income and, you know, living on the 10, he became a very wealthy man. And most people would think that's backwards. How can you become wealthy if you give away 90% of what you have? Well, see, his wealth wasn't based on money. That's right. See, I didn't say he became a rich man. I said he became a wealthy man because he had a good sense of well-being. He was free. You know, he talked about the ability to have, you know, a, you know, 6,000 square foot house. And he said, I live in a 970 foot, you know, 75 foot uh, square foot house. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's smaller than my house. You know, that's Mm -hmm. a really little house. And he says, yep. He said, me and my family, we live in a very small house because we made it. He said, "We made a choice." He said, "When I first started working, I I worked in retail." He said, "I wanted to be able to." He said, "I worked in marketing." He says, "And I and I told the people when I bought my house, I want to be able to afford this is the amount of house I wanted to have. If I lost my job right now and had to get a job as a store manager, assistant manager, how much would I have to make in order to you know, depending on how much I made, what how how much house could I afford?" And they told him, and he said, well, that's the house I want. See, he didn't get greedy. See, most people lose their freedom while they're trying to get what they believe makes them free. Mm -hmm. See, so many people chase. You know, I remember the commercial where the man was saying, you know, I have all this stuff, and I have this, I have a house, I have a car, it's really nice, and... I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Someone please help me. You know, he's riding around on his riding lawnmower, and he's got this nice big house and the family and the dog and the cars. And, you know, you think those people are successful. You think those people are free. Well, they're in more bondage than you are. You know, don't think that just because this person has a, you know, Mercedes Benz and they live in a 5,000-square-foot house that they've made it. And that everything is peachy keen, because you'd be surprised on the struggle that they go through and the fact that they are not free because they have to be tied to that particular job 
just to make ends meet, or they have to be tied to that particular uh, thing that they're doing because they can't lower their level of expectation and still be able to make ends meet. See, what they haven't done is they haven't raised their level of personal expectation. They've they've raised the level of what everybody, you know, what they're personifying themselves as. Oh, I'm Mr. Big Willie. I'm the big baller. I I got it all together. I got it all made. I got the house and the car and the 2.5 kids and the two dogs and the three fish. And I am what you consider successful, you know. And people look at that and say, wow, he's successful. Wow, she's successful. You know, but are they free? If they stop, if their job ended today, would you be free? Mm, if they miss would you one be free paycheck. to do whatever you wanted to do then? <laughs> if they miss one paycheck. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, I tell you what, if they were to get, if they were to lose their health, they wouldn't ask about that car or that house or that mansion or whatever. They wouldn't ask for that. Mm-hmm. They will be calling on the name that they wouldn't call on before when they were blessed to have what they have. That's who they're going to be calling. You know, Greg, I can recall uh, in 2007, January 2007, I had a, uh, a health scare where... I ended up checking myself into the emergency room, and it all really came out to be, you know, much about nothing. You know, it was, uh, I had uh, actually pulled a muscle in my arm, you know, but I was also dealing with a little bit of high blood pressure. And so I was complaining about my arm hurting, and my coworker said, you need to go get yourself checked out because that's not good. You have high blood pressure. You can't take chances like that. And this was a lady who had had uh, issues with her blood pressure. So I took her advice, and I went down to the um, fire station down by the job, let them take my pressure, and they told me to immediately go to the emergency room. So I'm like, wow, okay, this is kind of scary, you know, but it's all right. I'll go down there. So I got down there, and by the time the nurses had uh, admitted me and everything, they took all these x-rays, they took MRIs, they... um, the EKGs, you know, they were checking me out, but they could not get my blood pressure down. And by the time I got to the hospital, my blood pressure had raised about 40 points on both ends. <laughs> and, you know, and the nurse literally was afraid when she when she saw my blood pressure because the last reading that I can remember was she said, oh, we got to get you some more medicine put in you. My blood pressure was at 199 over 144. Mm. It had almost doubled. And, you know, as far as the blood pressure, about both numbers, it almost doubled. You know, and so they were really like, wow. You know, we don't know how you're sitting here and you're calm. They thought I was going to go into cardiac arrest or whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm just aggravated, you know, because. In my mind, I'm thinking, I really don't want to be here. I don't feel that bad anyway. Just, I need some rest, you know, and it was probably a lot of stress that was in my life. I wasn't thinking about, uh, am I going to get paid for this? You know, am I going to not make, you know, I wasn't thinking about any of that other stuff. All I wanted to do was feel better and get out of the hospital because I felt like the hospital was making me feel worse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> but when, when, you're, when, you, when you have issue and you lose a portion of your, even a portion of your health, your perspective changes. What becomes important to you changes. You begin to change because you, because that, you know, that health thing is, is, it's real, it's real tricky. It has a tricky way of bringing you back in the focus of, of your life. That's Especially true. when you get to the point where you think your your life is going to end. Because of that health issue you're having, oh, yeah, yeah, your perspective changes real quick. Yes, it does. Brian, you know, can you imagine going to that doctor and that doctor telling you, this is it, you don't have long to live. Hmm. And you leave there, there's absolutely nothing we can do for you. 
You don't have much time to live. You need to get yourself in order. You need to tell your family. You need to do what you need to do because you're checking out of here pretty soon. Now, he didn't tell you how soon. Some of us are living the life, and the doctor, we don't have that doctor to tell us that we don't have long left. We don't have much time left. But the life that we're living is that uh, the life is so fragile, the things that we're trying to do, the things that we're out there doing is worse than having cancer and AIDS. Mm -hmm. That thing is called uh, negativity and fear. Yeah. We're afraid to try things, and that and fear will depress you. It'll make you do crazy things. Negativity will also do the same thing. Negativity is nothing but a killer. And, Brian, because we're not living the lives that we were created to live, we start doing bad things. We start taking chances. And that's what I mean by we don't have much longer to live because we're doing crazy things. We're putting all these chemicals in our body to feel good. Mm-hmm. The dope, the, we the, feel the free. yeah, the heroin and the alcohol and Brian. Somebody's out there listening right now can't sleep without taking a drink. It's mm-hmm. that bad. Somebody's out there listening that's hooked on something. Yeah, be it drugs, alcohol, or sex. Because Brian, a lot of people are really addicted to sex. They won't say it, but they're really addicted to it. A lot of people put their lives in harm's way for it. You know, Greg, it's funny you say that. I remember, uh, you know, I have done a lot of work with HIV and AIDS, and I can remember reading this study where they were talking about men who have sex with men. And they were actually talking about some of the men that were in that lifestyle wanted to become positive. They would seek out people that they that were known positives yes. to have sex with them. I, I heard about that, and I'm thinking, where's the logic in that? You know, I know you. I, I mean, the the lifestyle is already a risky, you know, behavior. You know, and then you want to further put your life in danger by knowingly going out and seeking someone. Who uh, who has an incurable disease, you know? And I thought about that real real intensely, and I said, for them to make a choice like that, they actually have to be free. See, I didn't say that making bad choices or good choices would make you free, but when you have the ability to make a choice, that's freedom. Some people didn't have a choice when they got HIV and AIDS. Some people got it from birth. Some people got it when their parents made a bad choice and didn't get themselves good prenatal care before they were, you know, when they were pregnant with them. Mm-hmm. So they got it through birth. Some people got it through blood transfusions because somebody maybe didn't screen the blood well, you know. Some people got it through occupational hazards, you know, so they didn't have a choice in the matter. Some people got them as victims of sexual violence. Rape. And rape, you know. So they didn't always have a choice. Some of them didn't have any choice. But when you have the ability to make a choice, even if it's a bad choice, it shows that you have a level of freedom. You know, there's this thing that I learned that everybody has, and it's called a free will. You have the freedom to do anything you want to do, whether it be positive or negative, whether it be good or bad, you know, the wrong thing to do or the right thing to do. You have the freedom to make that choice. And each choice comes with a level of consequences, whether they be good or bad. But the fact that you have that ability to make that good or bad choice to get, 
you know, to reap those benefits or those consequences constitutes the fact that you are free. And another thing about that, Brian, too, is when you, you, you're right, you have the choice to do good or to do bad. The, the downside to that is you don't have control of the consequences. You might get away with it ten times, but it's that consequence that's lingering out there saying, okay, <laughs> I'm going to get you sooner or later. You, you'll you be caught. Yeah. But then you, you're fighting, you, you, you're taking chances with consequences. But then when it catches up with you, it's an ugly, it's an ugly situation. A lot of men are out raping women, and, and it's a sickness. They're sick, but it's something that they love to do. They all get caught. Look at the men that's having sex with kids, molesting kids. You see it on television. I'm not going to say the name of the show, but you see it all the time. It's As long as they stay there, people will come. You know, Greg, the crazy thing about that whole issue, and I watch it, you know, just and when I've watched it, I've wondered, don't they watch this? All of them watch it. But I mean, don't they sit? Don't they sit at the TV sometimes and flip through the channel and see those other people getting caught? Yes, they do. And but yet, they, I mean, there's no shortage of it. And Brian, I guarantee you, it's not their first time. Oh no, never. Some child is scarred behind that silly mess. Yeah, I, and a lot know, and, and a lot of the guys, Brian, that they catch, it's not their first time being caught. Right. So I remember there was one particular show where the guy had just gotten out for the same violation. It was three, four days after he got out that he was caught again. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. Now, the truth of the matter is, is he free? He's sick. Yes. He's sick. He's sick, but but the thing is, he still had the freedom to make that choice. See, like I said before, you know, your ability to be free is not, you know, derived from whether you make a good choice or a bad choice. It's the fact that you have the ability to make that choice. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know when we when Greg and I we go out and we talk to kids groups, we talk to groups, you know, all different types of groups. The one thing that we talk about is choices. Yeah. Everybody has choices. You know, you get the ability to make as many choices as you can within a 24-hour period. You know, but everybody has the same amount of time in a day to make a choice. You know, and some of your choices make you free. Some of them lock you up and, and put you in bondage. Mm. But even in that still know that because you have the ability to make that choice, you're free. Mm-hmm. You're free. And, Brian, if it, for those that are just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. And next week, Brian, we're having on Monday the 15th, our guest will be best-selling author Stephanie L. Jones. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a powerful, powerful show. Yes. Her book is Powerful. I'm not going to say the name of her book, but you can look her up. You can Google her, Stephanie L. Jones. And Brian, Wednesday the 17th is going to be. <laughs> uh, I'll just leave that. I'll leave that one alone, but I'll say the 17th, Wednesday of next week. Mark your calendars down. You don't want to miss Tamala Mann. That's our special guest for next Wednesday. Yeah. That is going to be powerful, Brian. I, I can't wait to have. The two ladies on. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a good week. That's going to be a good week. Yes. Yes. But, Brian, you know, back to what what you were talking about, about the choices. Some of us, Brian, we we sit back and we, we procrastinate with those choices. We have the opportunity to make great choices, great choices, but we're afraid to move on those choices. Mm-hmm. We sit there and and we watch other people and we have so much faith in other people. Oh, they can do this, they can do Well, you have that same, you, you have the same amount of time to make choices in a day to do what you want. 
Now, you can sit there and say, well, I'll just pray about it. Or I want a new house. Well, I'm just going to pray about it. What, is it going to fall through the roof in your lap? That's what they believe. It, it, it don't work that way. I, I, you know what? I'll say this. I, I know you're going to talk some more. I'll say this. The manna is not falling anymore. <laughs> okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? If you don't have that, if you don't have that that desire, and Brian, a lot of us are stuck in the want mode. Hmm. How many people you know get what they want? I don't know any. You get what you desire. If you desire, you're gonna move. Mm-hmm. Desire causes you to <laughs> desire causes you to shed tears. Because you want that thing so bad, and then you start moving on it. You start moving on it. And I'll say this. If if your dream is big, live in your dream. Stay in your dream. Keep your dream on your mind. When you do that, Brian, you start doing things. You start walking into that dream. You start doing the things that you see in that dream. And then things will start happening like you would never imagine. Look at Tyler Perry. Look at Open Winfrey. Look at Bill Gates. Look at Will Smith. They saw something. That's why they did it. They saw something and they moved on it. They they weren't afraid. And Brian, a lot of them have some really really sad stories to tell um, of some things that happened in their life. Yeah. But a lot of times that bad and that ugly thing that happens will propel you into your greatness. If you don't run from it, mm. if you don't run from it, but it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when we when we embrace that thing that we know is for us, and we all you all know what you're supposed to be doing. We all know that, but a lot of us are running from it. You know, you ever had that? You ever had Brian? You ever had the? the you're ever faced with, okay, I need to go ahead and do this, but I'm going to put it off a little bit longer. No, I'm going to do it now, but no, I'm not ready to face it yet. And you keep running and keep running, <laughs> and you keep running. You know, Greg, I was I was thinking about something as you were talking, and I had this vision of a rose. And it made me think about how some people's dreams and their visions are just like roses and a lot of times when people get roses they want to sit them in a vase you know they want to put them where nobody can touch them but you can look at them for a little while and then they just don't pay attention to them anymore not realizing that as long as you nurture that 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 rose even though you've cut it off its petal you could nurture that rose you could Keep that rose, you know, in the in the sun. You could pay attention to that rose so much, and keep it going to where it would never die. But too often, what people do is they sniff that rose, they talk about how they had the rose, and the next thing you know, they've forgotten that rose. And then when that rose begins to wither, instead of working on trying to get that rose and back to health. They throw it out. And then all they can do is talk about the rose that they had. Mm. That's so true. But, Brian, when we have fears and choices and dreams, fear does not get along with choices and dreams. They can't be in the same place at the same time. Mm-mm. One is going to be a little bit more dominant than the other. When you face those fears, it turns into courage. It turns into courage. You can't have courage without fear. Uh-huh. There has to be some type of fear there. But you know what? We can all overcome a lot of the things that we're faced with. Once we realize that it's not about us and it's not our battle our battle to fight with anyway, how many times, Brian, have you been so frustrated trying to accomplish or take care of something that you think or thought that you had to do, then you realize that, okay, well, you know what, I'm going to step back. And as soon as you step back, 
it just seems like the problem just took care of itself. Hmm. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation? You, you know, it's funny because as you're saying that, I, it made me think about plenty of stuff, you know, that I've been involved in. That once I got out of the way of trying to get it to work myself and do it myself, just everything just fell into place, you know. And it just speaks to the fact that sometimes you are in the way of yourself. Your thoughts, your pessimism sometimes gets in the way of, you know, you moving forward. You say, oh, I'll never be able to do that. Well, why not? I don't know. It's just not happening for me. Well, why isn't it happening? Is it because you're not making it happen? Or is it because you don't believe it can happen? Hmm. A lot of times, Brandon, they, they don't believe it. They don't believe it can happen. If you don't believe it can happen, then how is it going to happen for you? You can't live off of somebody else's dream. You just, it, it doesn't work that way. And, Brian, how many of your friends uh, tell you, well, Brian, you know, you, you were supposed to go to college. You know, you were supposed to do all these great things. And you listen to them, and then they say, but me, on the other hand, that's not for me. Uh, I'm not cut out for the office type. I'm not cut out for motivational speaking. I'm not cut out for any of those type of things. And you really, all you want to ask them, Brian, is what are you saying? Are you saying you're not cut out for success? Uh-huh. Well, I'm just going to stay around the house and do this and do that. Well, basically, you're going to stay around the house and do nothing because they don't believe that they have the qualifications to do the same things that you're doing because they're, they're basing their life on yours. Uh-huh. And, you know, Brian, some, it's so sad because... A lot of your friends, a lot of people that you know, they're really some of the people are really, really smart, and it makes you angry when you hear them downplay or down themselves, and you see so much potential in them, and you try to tell them no matter what you tell them, they can't see it. Huh. Ah, something happened in their childhood probably. Hmm. Yeah. A lot of the kids, Brian, that uh, are like that, a lot of those kids were molested or beaten, something took their value, or something, better yet, something took that, their thinking of who they are, that was stolen or taken from them. They don't know their worth, they don't know their value. They're living in the, in, in that, that ugliness that happened to them. And the first thing, Brian, a lot of people say that, that are going through those type of situations in, with the battling of the mind, it's the first thing that they say is, I'm not worthy. Why should good things happen for me? Yeah, my husband left me. I'll never get another one. Or I lost a loved one. But my life is over. I can't go forward. I, did, I can't do any better than where I am right now. That's sad. Yeah. But it's the friends that see that should step in and say, that's not true. We need to get a little bit more involved when we see people that are down. You have a friend that's down and saying negative things, check him right up front. Now, if you want to say something negative about yourself, you do that on your own time. Don't do that in front of me. All right. Because I respect you. Even you may not respect yourself, but I respect you. And I know the potential. I see the potential in you. So please don't do that in front of me. And you'll start seeing a change in that person because the word says faith comes from hearing and hearing and hearing. Mm-hmm. You said enough, it's going to stick. You said enough, they're going to remember it. You said enough, they'll start acting on it. Then they'll start living it. And then you'll start, having, you'll start seeing great results from a lot of people. Yeah. But... It's up to people like you and me, Brian, or people listening, that you see somebody going through something, take your time and talk to them. Talk to them. Sometimes all they need is just an ear. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, Greg, I was... It's amazing how many people don't realize just how free they are. 
you know, in this great country is that we live in, we have the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom to make choices. You know, there are some places where, you know, women aren't even allowed to speak in public. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine not being able to speak because a prevailing government or someone thought that it was improper for you to actually express yourself around others? What about not being able to drink out of the same water fountain and use the same bathroom or sit at the same table? That's right. But look what What about if your feet are hurting and you're tired and you're an older woman and they ask you to get up out of your seat so someone who, quote-unquote, is more deserving of a seat can sit there? (laughs) You see, it wasn't too long ago that we didn't have these freedoms. We didn't have these choices, you know, But does that mean that the people that lived back then weren't free? Mm. See, what I believe, Greg, is that I believe they were probably more free than we are now today. Mm -hmm. Because we talk about our freedoms and we have the freedom of speech, the right to bear arms, freedom of choice, freedom of religion, and yet we're so tied to all these other things. Like, I know somebody who... They can't live without their phone. They're on the phone all the time. Every time you see them, they're talking on the phone. They can't live without it. Now, a couple, you know, a couple years back, you didn't have phones that you could walk around with. You know, they didn't have cordless phones. They didn't have cell phones. So, and you know, there was a time where when you wanted to call somebody, and this was way before my time, of course. You wanted to call somebody, you had to call the switchboard up, and then they would call the person for you. That's <laughs> way before our time. Way before our time, you know. <laughs> but, see, I know people that talk about that, and they say now these kids walk around and they got the phones on their ears, you know. Brian, but what about, as a black man, walking the street? Now, you you tell me how silly this was. You couldn't even look at a white woman. And if you did, they would kill you for just looking at one, for just looking at another human being. But yet, 12, 1 o'clock at night, they're coming to the house and they're calling the husband out of the room and they're sleeping with the husband's wife and daughter. And there's absolutely nothing that he could do. And then when the master finished doing what he was doing, he went back, and now this man has to go back and face his family. That's 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 almost unbearable to even think about something like that, and to beat someone just because their skin is darker than yours, and then throw them in boiling water and boil them to death. And Brian, they get the whips and they cut their backs and then they throw salt on it. How cruel. How cruel. And then they want, everybody wants to say, well, now that we have an African-American running for president, look how far this country has come. It's a wonderful thing that we're able to do this now. Like you said, Brian, he's not an African-American. He's not the first African-American running for president. He's the first biracial running for president. Right. He's got both in him. But they, they only see one side. Right. They only see one side. But how awesome is it we have a country, we have a black man running for president. But look at all the dirty work going on behind the closed doors. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I agree. You know, and I said that, and I was actually saying that in jest, but when you really think about it, 
if he had been, if he had not been the product of a biracial family, do you believe that he would have had as much backing? You know, and I'm not saying I'm not saying answer that question. I'm just you know throwing it out there. You know, do you believe he would have gotten the same backing if he was maybe a dark-skinned African American running for president? Mm. You know, do you believe he would have gotten the same type of backing if he didn't have the up the type of upbringing that he had? You know, I mean, I remember our um, our guest on Monday. She talked about how she believes that he's the beacon for change because he's not like any other presidential candidate. You know, and there's a whole lot of truth to that. You know, he and he could definitely be the catalyst that bridges that divide on race, and you know, that that's able to have us come together as one. You know, but I still say that we got a long ways to go. And Brian, the beautiful thing about this election and this these times that we're living in, you have to deal with race now. Why is it? So such an issue with some people. They're so afraid to talk about it. They run from it. Oh, no, let's not talk about race. They'll play the race card, but they won't talk about it. No. Oh, that was a joke. When have you ever heard, Brian, someone say something on television or someone says something at work that's some type of racial a slur, or they say something. Their answer is, it was a joke. I was only joking. Have you noticed that? It's always a joke. It's always... Uh, it's always said it yes. Yes. You why know, is that? You know why? Because we've become so politically correct that anything that could that somebody can imagine may be, you know, an an offendable thing to say or do. You know, it, it's like nothing is off limits now. You know, I was just listening the other day, and I know we're kind of a little off the subject of, of being free. Oh, it's all yeah. about free. <laughs> you know, but I was listening how they tried to, uh, there was, you know, there was some switching of words, and they tried to twist it up to make it sound like that Obama called, Senator Palin a pig. Semantics. You know? And I'm like, you know, they were trying to imply that he that she was the subject of one of his speeches. You know? And I'm thinking, you know, that I could never see him saying something like that about a woman. You know? And the fact that you have somebody say, Oh yeah, he meant her, that's what he meant. You know, it just shows that some people just aren't free. Mm-hmm. Some people just don't have the mindset where, you know, they, they they want people to believe that a Senator Obama would say something like that. And so they would stoop that low to spin those words. Well, Brian, he was only saying what McCain said. McCain said it earlier. They showed it today on television that he said the same thing a couple of months ago. <laughs> so it's semantics. They're playing these word games. But, Brian, whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen no matter how or who is fighting against it. It doesn't matter. When that door opens for you, you're going to get what's for you. And nobody can take it back. There's no need to worry about anything. Everything is already done. I say, Brian, have the courage to step in it. Pay attention to your ideas. Pay attention to what's going on around you. I guarantee you if you pay attention and you start moving on those things that you're thinking, now make sure they're legal now. <laughs> A lot of us have... Have, uh, we're thinking about doing things that not that's illegal, but and I'll say this, Brandon. We have to. Get, we have about twenty seconds left in the show. Face your fears. Make a commitment. And honor your commitment. With that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. 
and we can't wait to be back on the air on Monday, September 15th. God bless you.